1: Let me begin with a story. Uh, When I was in ninth grade, I went to a a Jewish day school in New York at the edge of Harlem. The the truth is um, I did not go to uh, Jewish day school as a kid, but a rabbi saw me as a a project that he would want to invest in. And he encouraged me to uh, go to religious camps. And for one year, I went uh, to a school in Manhattan for the ninth grade. It didn't last long because I wasn't ready for that kind of experience, and neither were my parents. Uh, So uh, I came back. But there was one thing, among many others, that I learned from that particular year. Um, It was a dormitory school, and I had a friend from Wisconsin, and his father invited me out to eat in a New York restaurant. So I wanted to go. Uh, I wasn't sort of super kosher, you know, in terms of my observances, and I'd eat an Italian restaurant in New York that was exciting. But if I was leaving the building, I had to tell the rabbi where I was going. I I couldn't find the rabbi, I left. Uh, I came back and he asked me, where were you? I said, I went to see a movie. I happened to see a movie advertised in the paper. What did you see? I saw The Incredible Shrinking Man. Well, what was it about? Oh, it was about a guy who shrunk. (laughs) And it was amazing, he actually believed me. (laughs) But I saw that movie later on and I realized there were some profound lessons in that film. You know, it was really a, it's a powerful film. It's in black and white. You still probably could see it somewhere. You know, now with streaming, you can get access to every film. But it was, a, a, I would say, a, a frightening film, and yet f- a film that had a message. What happens? The man, uh, in his, uh, is in on vacation. He's passing through uh, a cloud. It happens to be a radioactive cloud. It affects his DNA, and he begins to shrink. First, shirts are too big. Everything is too big. He gets smaller and smaller, and uh, he seeks medical advice. Can't solve the problem, um, and he meets a midget, forms a relationship with her. His wife is always faithful to him. No, no. It's, the film is in the fifties, so it's it's a truly kosher film. <laughs> can't find him like that anymore. So, uh, he, but she, he begins to continue to shrink. Flash forward, he's living in a dollhouse and uh, his wife is still attentive to him, but he's living in a little house, and his wife goes out, leaves the door front door open. A cat comes in. It's like a lion, you know, it terrorizes him. He falls out into the basement. He's knocked out, and then as he wakes up, he's smaller and smaller, a spider comes, and he has a, 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 you know, a, a battle with the spider, and he finally kills the spider with a, like a needle. And he sees he's spilling, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's getting smaller and smaller. The last frame of the film, I'm going to tell you the spoiler here. He, see, he sees himself, he's still like a person, but he's like a, a, a speck. He looks out of the basement and he looks up at the sky and he says, at least in God's eyes, I count. And for me, it was one of those wow moments. I saw a film that not only entertained me and even frightened me, but it had a profound Musar lesson that no matter what happens, in God's eyes, we still count, even though in terms of whatever issues we're facing in the world, we, have, we, we all have, you know, go through life. Life is not a straight line. It's complicated. But uh, to me, it, it, it demonstrated the idea that no matter what happens, we still have a vertical connection to God, even if our horizontal connections are ebbing away uh, for whatever reason. So that was an important um, film for me, and it gave me an idea that movies don't have to simply be entertainments. They can be enlightening. They can help us grow. It, it was important for me, and I was a moviegoer from uh, a young age. My mother would always take me to the movies. My ideal day would be to go to synagogue in the morning, go to movies in the afternoon, and then we had double features. <laughs> and we go to the movies. Really meant going to the movies. he <laughs> would spend hours there. <laughs> Um, I lived in Mount Vernon, New York, which is a suburb of, uh, you know, the Big Apple. Uh, so for me, you know, it was a simple time. Movies transported me to a faraway place, so it was exciting. So even though movies nowadays basically are corrupting and are very bad, I have an old childhood habit. I went and I still go, and I, a lot of my kids go. But they, I, I tell them it depends. If, you, if you're not a movie goer, I'm not telling you to become a movie goer. But if you go. See something that will enrich your life, not just entertain you. Something that will give you food for thought. And there are a lot of films I think that fall under that category, and that can be worthwhile if you become a discriminating uh, moviegoer. Um, I, uh, you know, as I got more religious, I went to this camp in the summer, and then I got more and more religious, you know, and, I, and it wasn't intellectually based religion. It was just emotionally. I just felt good about it. Uh, so I didn't have the intellectual understanding of really what all this meant, but I became more observant. And the more observant I became, the more I sensed there was sort of a, a cognitive dissidence between what I saw on the screen and the kind of life I was trying to lead. Uh, it was, it was complicated. Um, and I went to Yeshiva University, I had a special program for p- late starters. I was there uh, not for four years, but, uh, instead of a, a three year Smicha program, you know, ordination program. I was there for six years. It was a long time. But during that time, I was exposed to great people who gave me a perspective on this. First uh, person who really integrated both secular and sacred that was was a a profound transformational transformational moment for me was Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik. I was not in his class, but I heard his class, and I I heard his... uh, He used to give lectures on the anniversaries of the passing of his brother, his wife, and I lived in Washington Heights, which is right near Yeshiva University. So I went one night just to see what it's like because I had heard so much about him. And I was there for three hours. I remember, I couldn't believe it. It felt like 15 minutes. I never heard a talk like that before. He was a person who had a reputation for depth and breadth in Talmud study, and he was quoting Dostoevsky, he was quoting Shakespeare. I never saw that in my life, that a person would have that kind of you know, mastery of so many different fields. Then, I mean, I, I would attend his uh, you know, lectures periodically, you know, a couple of times a year, but they gave me a perspective from which to view all of secular learning. Then I was really blessed because when I moved into a Talmud class at Yeshiva University, I had Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein as my teacher. He's the Rabbi Selvedchik's son-in-law. Now he also bridged both fields. He had a PhD in English from Harvard, in addition to secular studies. He passed away a couple of years ago. But he was, a, he was a profound influence on me, just in terms of who he was. Because he showed me that you can I don't know why that's ringing. He showed me that you can't really bridge the two fields together. I, I was doing graduate work at that point at Hunter College, and I was still in the Smicha program, and I had just finished reading Saul Bellow's Herzog. And I asked him, what do you think? I, I was in going in the elevator. I said, Rabbi Lichtenstein, what do you think of Saul Bellows He said to me, I never read anything less than 100 years old. <laughs> and I, that's a perspective on life, you know? A kid once asked me, I'm, I'm t- I was teaching in, in Israel, they asked me if I read Harry Potter. I'll, t- I'll tell you in 100 years. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to read it today. But sometime I'll read it. So, that was a, so in a sense, what he, what he was telling me is that I have to be a more discriminating reader of literature and I think I applied that to movies as well. Not everything is okay. So you have to develop the ability to, to know what's good and what's not. Um, in, in literature, I, I'm giving a professional development in Denver tomorrow to a high school. And there I'm going to discuss a lot of pieces of literature that, have, you know, uh, that resonate in the Torah as well. For example, in a Wordsworth poem, uh, one of his poems, My Heart Leaps Up When I Behold, there's a line that says the child is the father of man. Now, it's just a poetic line. But for me, it is a profound religious lesson. In the prayer book, we say, we, God who renews the world every day, he renews creation every day. And the the message of the poem, and I think it's a religious message that is embodied in the line, is that what, as you go older, you can't lo- lose your childhood perspective. You still have to see nature in an exciting, vibrant way. You know, when I look at the sun in the morning, boy, I'm a happy camper. I'm here. You know, and, and, and don't see, don't be simply you know, not sensitive to the everyday miracle of creation. That's a a point of Wordsworth, and it's also a point that's emphasized in Jewish tradition as well. You know, don't do a a mitzvah, don't do a good deed by rote, do it because you're energized to do something good, doing something positive. So that's the, the, you know, the the, the literature piece of it. Then we come to the, uh, you know, the movie part of it. Um, What's a kosher movie? For me, a kosher film is... It's, my website, by the way, in my book is not intended for kids. It's for adults uh, who, who are interested in finding th- films that have something meaningful to say. But their films, they, they're rated R because of violence or profanity. I don't have nudity because I, uh, I'll feel better. I sent somebody to see a kosher film And there's nudity on the screen. I'll lose my creds if I do that. (laughs) So so I can't do that. Uh, But I I have a a fairly wide tolerance for for violence (laughs) and profanity. I'll watch such such films. Uh, And if I find something good, I'll I'll write about it. Um, One early favorite of mine, also when I was a kid growing up, was a film called The Defiant Ones. I don't know if any of you remember. with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. I lived in Mount Vernon. I share this with uh, Rob Shmuley. Uh, I was involved in the 50s with civil rights uh, um, as manifested in a small, you know, suburb of New York. There were two high schools. One was Davis High School for white kids going to uh, college. The other high school was Edison High School primarily for blacks who were going to be in trade. There was a movement at that point to have the two high schools merge and to have, you know, more equal opportunities available for all. And at that time, in the 50s, I went to the movies and I saw The Defiant Ones. And I saw, it's a a great film, again, black and white. And and Tony Curtis was one of my favorite stars and I would see anything that he was in. And the film details um, the story of two convicts. They are in a train, the train crashes, and they escape and they flee. There's only one problem. They're chained to one another, black and white. They hate one another. They can't stand one another, but they're stuck with one another. So the film shows how they come to learn to understand the other's predicament. There's a classic scene there. They both fall into a mud pit, and it's raining. In order to get out, they have to step on one and try and get out. And every time one gets on the top, the other one pulls them down. Not because they don't like them, but they're just stuck. Somehow they have to learn how to get out of that pit, and the only way they can get out of it is to learn to live with one another and see how they can help one another. So for me, as a kid in the 50s, in my you know early teens, that was a great movie. It was entertaining, had my favorite stars in it, and it had an important lesson that even people who don't like one another can somehow learn to live one another and appreciate the contributions of the other. So for me, that was an important movie. I could see it more than once. Is it called the Def- the Defiant Ones, and there's a new movie, new movie about it. You want the one that's in the 50s with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. The movie, I don't, I don't know what the movie has. I saw it, there's a, new, there's a new, maybe it's a TV series, I'm not sure. I saw The Defiant Ones listed maybe on Netflix or somewhere. That's not the one I'm talking about. <laughs> it's Tony Curtis and, Sidney. and Sidney Poitier, yeah. These were, like, these were, it was a very popular film at the time. Now, um, in the book, uh, but that way, that's why at first I wrote this book, Walking in Two Worlds. This is really for the professional development uh, seminar that I give because it deals with, primarily with literature. But in the end of it, I realized more people see movies than read books. So therefore, if I want to, you know, in a sense, and I was teaching English literature in my high school for many years, so I, and I thought that oftentimes students responded more positively to my teaching of poetry than to my teaching of a verse in the Talmud or the or the, or the Chumash or the, or the Bible because you know, it, it, it was easier for me to communicate Torah messages through literature than sometimes through a, a particular verse in the Chumash, which was, it was there, but it was not as accessible as it might have been in a poem. So I decided to write um, a chapter on film and in this book. And then once I wrote it, I realized that I can, I can do a lot with this. And then I started writing Kosher movies, volume one here. This is what it looks like. Uh, I, 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 I came from New York and I, I couldn't handle luggage <laughs> with too many books. So I only brought the paper back. Otherwise it was too, just too heavy. Uh, so I, I brought, these are the ones I had the volume. This just came out, volume two. Uh, this one was done by a, a, a regular uh, publisher. Uh, because I wanted to be able to ha- have it reviewed in uh, magazines. Uh, once I have it, and it's been reviewed in several uh, several places, once I have that, then I wanted to write more, but I didn't need to, I can do this, this, this I did myself because it was easier, and I have this one as the, well, the one that was officially reviewed in the magazines. It's se- essentially the same bo- uh, book, but there, in this book, there are introductory essays because I divided the book, the film's up to, topics, parenting, decision making, ethics, uh, and I have essays that lead up to it. In this book, you don't have the essays, we have the, the reviews of the films. In each book there are about 120 reviews. Uh, now, um, in terms of the, uh, I'm going to give you examples of what I do. For example, uh, in the parenting section, I uh, considered a film like Dead Poets Society. By the way, I'm going to talk, but after I talk, I want to hear what your favorites are and we'll talk about them. So I'm not going to talk forever. <laughs> I'm going to talk for you know, another 15 minutes or so and then we'll open it up and we'll, I'll share And I want you to share with me and I'll share with you. Uh, parenting section, Dead Poets Society, how many people saw that movie? Okay. Uh, Robin Williams, great performance, wonderful. Is it, what, what's the essential part of the film that I related to? You have two adults trying to influence their kids. One is a charismatic teacher, one is a parent. The charismatic teacher on the first day of school tells the kids, "Tear up the textbook." The parent, and when he finds out about that, is not very happy. He wants his kid to have a conventional education. So the kid is caught on the horns of a dilemma. He's 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 conflicted. If you all saw the movie, or most of you did, you know it's a, the movie has a sad end. The kid commits suicide because he can't please his father. He can't. You know, he's, he he when his, when, his, when the kid tells his father, "I'm going to be in *Midsummer Night's Dream*," this is really. The bottom of the barrel, in terms of he's paying a hefty, you know, private school tuition. That's not what he had in mind. Uh, And yet, even Rabbi, as a teacher, he's also flawed because he just sees things in a in a theoretical way. He doesn't understand. He himself is not a parent. At least we don't see that in the film, so he doesn't really get the full picture either. So the kid is really stuck. But the piece of wisdom that should emerge from that film is a statement from Proverbs, written by King Solomon educate your child in the way that he's going. In other words, it, it, parenting is not a cookie-cutter science. It's complicated. You have to know who the, your child is, and you have to be able to kind of modify your parenting approach depending upon who's, who's in front of you. I, I had a wake-up while. I have six kids, uh, and uh, my first three kids, I had two boys and a girl. I used a parenting toolbox that essentially was the same for all of them. My fourth child one day runs away from home. Turns out he ran into the backyard, but I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. But uh, it was scary. You know? And then I realized that what worked for my first three is not going to work for him. I have to change my way of parenting because I don't want to lose him. I don't want sort to of, you know, create a problem. So what that film tells me is that I have to understand that parenting is a nuanced activity. I can't just use the same parenting toolbox. That's a valuable life lesson, a lesson of Musar in terms of how you deal with the kids that emerges from the head poet society. Um, i can talk about Musar. I'll give you a few, but then I want to hear from you. Uh, it depends on what you... you know, have you seen Jeremiah Johnson? Okay, Oh well, years ago. That's a Robert Redford goes out into the wilderness. I'm not going to discuss it because none of you saw it, but the essential lesson there is that a guy goes out into the wilderness, he enjoys being a mountain man. There's one problem. He's away from society. He's isolated. And when a problem comes, then he has nobody to turn to, and nobody's really there to even help him. That's a separate I- issue. But, okay, that's... How many saw I Am Sam? Yeah. Okay. The, the, Sean Penn's great performance. Is there... Uh, okay. And uh, should I talk about it, or you, you... Okay. So he's a... Uh, he has a... Ch- he's He's like a... Not Down syndrome, but something close to it. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's mentally challenged. He has a, a baby with a homeless woman. The baby grows up and is smarter than he is. And the child services wants to take the baby away. Then he gets in touch with a lawyer who, uh, again, I don't want to give all the, all the plot t- t- turns, uh, but the, the lawyer w- picks on the case to try to keep the child in his custody because he has a surrogate parent who's willing to help him. But there's a problem, you know. ultimately you know, it's solved in the courts. But there's, uh, to me, a great scene in the film, Michelle Pfeiffer plays the lawyer. And uh, she asks Sam, uh, I don't know what to call you, retarded, mentally retarded, mentally handicapped, mentally disabled, intellectually disabled, handicapped, <coughs> developmentally disabled, to which Sam responds, just call me Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, the point is, stay away from labels. You know that's an important. Also, must our lesson? Don't don't pigeonhole people. You know, you, you, people are more than the sum total of their labels. I mean, that, that's you know, reform, conservative, orthodox. You can get stuck on the label and not move anywhere. But if you forget about the labels, then we talk about people. People are people. They're complicated. <laughs> that's all. So that's an important life lesson. It's a, it's a, a lesson of ethical instruction. Um, yeah, he was the actor. He, I, I, to me, that was his greatest performance. was—he's a good actor, you know, in many things. But that, to me, that was an important film. Um, uh, you all saw the—you the, know—the I won't talk about this because you've all seen it. But the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's, you just you know, the idea that as you get older, we have to redefine ourselves. That's an important lesson as well. How many saw I saw recently? The Old Man and the Gun. Mm-hmm. Robert Redford. Yeah. You know, he, he, as you get old, if you see it? Okay, the idea is that as you get older, you, you want to be relevant. You want to still, you know, do something that's important. Uh, he robs banks, right? <laughs> that's how he's way of remaining relevant. Uh, but it, it's, there's a human di- dilemma there. You know, as I get older, I, I'm marginalized. You know, people think I, think I have nothing important to say. But that doesn't have to be the case. So the issue is you have to find out, ask yourself, what can I do to be relevant? And Robert Redford in *The Old Man and the Gun* says, "When I rob banks, I feel relevant." <laughs> it's, a, it's an, a unique answer, but it's a—it's a, you know—it's worth thinking about. Um, one of one fil- a, a pair of films that I really liked that really uh, illustrate the same idea on how your values change as you get older are the companion films *The Hustler* and *The Color of Money*. Are you familiar with that, Paul Newman? Okay, I say, I'm speaking to the right age crowd here. <laughs> if I was speaking to the high school tomorrow, I can't use any of these examples. <laughs> they won't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so hustler, Paul Newman is a pool shark. He's, he <laughs> Somebody asked him in the movie, you know, why do you want to bet all this money? Why do you want to put so much emphasis on winning pool games? Because he says, I like things. It's a classic person interested in in materialism and life and he has a lot of tragedy in life. Many years later Martin Scorsese made this film The Color of Money. Paul Newman now owns a liquor uh, store uh, establishment and Tom Cruise is the young protege. It's a really fine film Uh, but the, the point of that, the Musser lesson is that Paul Newman at the end of the day, even though he wants to mentor this pool protege, he really wants to see who's a better pool player. He's not interested in the money, and he doesn't want to win things unfairly. When he was a young person, he'll do anything to win. When he gets older, I want to just play the good game so that you see the metamorphosis of a character. The beauty of those two films is that it stars the same person. It's Eddie Felsen as a, you know, in his 20s, Eddie Felson in his 60s. So you really see the metamorphosis of a person over time, which I like very much. And Martin Scorsese is one of my favorite uh, film directors. Um, From the adversity section of my book, I discussed, uh, by the way, in this book, they are are divided up according to uh, themes, but that part is in the back of the book, you know, where I simply say which films deal with, you know, ethics or time or second chances. Uh, Adversity section, Apollo 13 and The Martian. Apollo 13, how many saw that? You all saw that, Tom Hanks. Great film. Things go wrong. And if things go wrong, there, there's a multiple way, there's many ways to respond. You can collapse, you know? I'm up in a spaceship, and I'm not, it's terrible, I'm, I'm finished. What I could say, I have to figure out a way to deal with this. And that's what Tom Hanks does. And that's a tremendous, you know, there's a statement in, again, in uh, Jewish tradition that says, seven times the righteous will fall, yet they will rise again. So failure is not terminal. That's an important Musar lesson. That if I fail, I fail. (coughs) Things don't have to be finished. I can still continue here. So you learn that lesson from Apollo thirteen. You also learn it from The Martian. You know, with the what's his name? I, you know, the born, the born, Jason Bourne. What's his real name? Uh, Matt Damon, right? (laughs) The idea is again, things everything goes wrong, but he doesn't go. He builds a garden (laughs) to get food. He somehow figures out a way to continue in spite of the adversity. Those are really uh, two very fine kosher films. Me, uh, did you
2: say that Tom Hanks was a powerful thing?
1: No, I mean Tom Hanks was a, uh, he was just a, a, he was great actor in that movie, Apollo 13. He played, I'm sorry, what was the name of it? Apollo 13. Oh, Apollo 13. Yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> if, I, if I, anything I say is not clear, please tell me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to myself, so, <laughs> so please let me know if anything is unclear. Uh... The relationship section in the book, I dealt with in the first book, Splendor in the Grass. Now, that really bridged literature and movies. That goes way back. Way back, back right. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies. We no, <laughs> it's a line from Wordsworth's poem. They, we, uh, though we, we uh, though the hour of spl- Splendor uh, in the Grass is gone, we will weep not, but rather find strength in what remains behind. In other words, after a calamitous relationship goes you know, it, it, two people who are deeply in love, things don't work out that way, the issue is what happens afterwards. Now, I, the film, at that point, I saw it, I think I was in the ninth grade, and um, I was dating a girl in my innocent way from the Bronx. I would take the subway from, the, from Mount Vernon to the Bronx to meet this girl who lived near Yankee Stadium. And I was very serious about it. I thought I was gonna marry this girl. You know, I was, it, it was in the 50s, people thought innocent, Ways. I mean, I was going, you know, a kiss was a big deal. <laughs> Today we live in a different world. But then, so I would go regularly to meet her. And I remember on one particular Sunday, I said, I'm going to surprise her. And I decided to take the subway and go to Yankee Stadium, you know, her neighborhood. I went I knocked on the door and opened the door. And she was with another guy. Ah, my world collapsed. <laughs> you know, I went home on the subway in tears. How am I going to survive this? And then I saw that movie, Splendor <laughs> in the Grass. That didn't change things because it's a very, it's a sad movie, but it it, it it showed me that even when it comes to relationships, one thing, one disappointment doesn't mean it's all over. If I think in hindsight, 30 years later, what a mistake I would have made if I married this girl. <laughs> I wasn't formed as a person. I, didn't, I wasn't who I was 30 years later, and I was... God was kind to me by not answering my prayers. <laughs> so that's a, it's a, it's a lesson also. And we're sorry, take the big picture. Who's the wise person in, in, the, in, in the ethics of the fathers? Who sees the future? You see beyond the present moment. And you can learn from life if you see beyond what's immediately in front of you. So Splendor in the Grass was an important film for me. Um, now, um, sports, Hoosiers. So that, Gene Hackman's a great sport, one of the greatest sports movies. Again, the lesson there, you see people, every man is also a statement in The Ethics of the Fathers, every man had his hour. There's a guy who's like the shortest guy on the team, uh, always making mistakes. One particular game, he becomes the hero. So that's another important Musar lesson, that you can you know, don't knock anybody, because on any given day, somebody, you see it every Sunday in, in Sunday football. I don't watch it in Israel, but Uh, At one point, I would see that you you never know what's going to happen any any given Sunday. Uh, uh, How many people saw the uh, 127 Hours? Okay, I'll forget about that. Uh, One movie I'm sure you did not see was called Facing Ali. It's a documentary about the guys who fought Muhammad Ali. And their claim to fame was, I was in the ring with Muhammad Ali. They all lost. (laughs) And I, I said to myself, that's an important lesson. Sometimes, you know, it says, again, in, in uh, Ethics of the Fathers, you, ra- you want to rather be uh, a tail to a lion than the head of a fox. Because a lion is a courageous person. Now, I was, my first rabbinic job was as an assistant rabbi. And I chose the job because I wanted to be close to the rabbi. He was a star. I think I learned more from him than on my own. And I thought it was a good decision. And facing Ali, they have a similar point of view. It doesn't matter if I lose to Ali. I was in the ring with him. I was in the ring with the best, and that was important to him. So it's another muster lesson. You know, wh- wh- who do you choose as your friends? Who do you choose as your role models? Sometimes it's better to be with somebody who's great, even if by comparison, you're smaller, because you learn from that person, choosing the right mentor. Um, also, you know, in the second chances section, I dealt with Les Miserables, you know, great, great film. Not, the movie and there was a, a, a different version, of, you know, a, a dramatic version of it with Liam Neeson. Uh, and again, the idea that you can have a second chance in life. You know, John Valjean is, uh, he, he's put in prison uh, for stealing a loaf of bread. Then he is able to get out of prison. And he, he goes to a priest. He steals his candlesticks and he's caught. He's apprehended and they bring him back to the priest and the priest says, no, I gave him those pa- candlesticks as a gift. He gives Jean Valjean a second chance. It's complicated. You know, we live in now when, you know, when this whole immigration business is, you know, who do you give a second chance to? It's complicated. Uh, so I have no position on this, but I'm just saying that the same issues that we dealt with today, that we deal with today, were dealt with in films of, uh, many years ago. Uh, also, you think of Rocky, you know? Classic story. Um, from the section of time... I'm going to finish up in five minutes so we can hear from you. Uh, curious case of Benjamin Button. See that film? That's a mind bender. <laughs> you know? But what it shows you is that at, some, at one moment in time, they're about the same age. So what does it, it tell me in terms of a Musser lesson? Focus on the moment. You know, Be sensitive to the value of one minute and you'll see your life can change. Now, it has a lot of sad, that movie's a very sad movie, it's complicated, but the idea is that at one moment in time, there's an opportunity. You know, there's, a, again, a Mr. Statement that if you have an opportunity to do a good deed, don't postpone it, do it now, because that moment may not be here again. You know, the, the, the power of a moment. There's another, there's a science fiction movie called uh, Source Code, with Jay Geilenthal. Uh, he, he has a chance, the guy has a chance, to, to change the outcome of a uh, of a terrorist act, the train is going to be, uh, uh, you know, bombed. And the film says, but you only have eight minutes in which to change the, the scenario. So the whole film is a, how you see the same eight minutes playing out in different ways, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so the, it's a similar uh, idea to Benjamin Button that there's a power of a moment, that one minute can be transformational. So don't waste time. Don't, you know, c- count every moment. I do it all the time now. As I got older, yeah, people ask me how I'm doing. I say, thank God, fantastic. I got up today and everything was working. I'm a happy camper. <laughs> so every moment, you know, has, has there are implications here. Don't... don't uh, uh, from the ethics section, I like the film The Born Legacy, which is the film after that was made after the first three. The Born Legacy stars um, not Matt Damon, but Jeremy Renner. He's another person, if you, did you see it at all? It's worth seeing, I think, yeah. You know, he, he's a guy who's been, a, you know, he's been an assassin for the government. He wants to get out of this whole business, but now he's a liability for the government because he's a, he's a person with skills and information that will may harm the government. Uh, so he tries to escape the government that wants to eliminate him. And there's a line uh, said by, it was by Ed Norton, who represents the government, and he says, <laughs> there's really, you know, a crisis of conscience. The, the CIA officer, played by Ed Norton, says, "We are morally indefensible and absolutely necessary. <laughs> I mean, that captures the, 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 the dilemma in which the, uh, you know, the government finds itself. Um, um, it relates to. It. There's a whole discussion in the Talmud. Can I fulfill a mitzvah? Can I do a mitzvah with a stolen object? Let's say I have a, a lulav and esrog. you have a lulav and etrog. I want to shake it through. But the only one available, I have to take it from somebody else, and he's not there to ask. Can I fulfill my mitzvah through stealing somebody else's thing? So these ethical dilemmas are around, and they're dealt with in films So the films don't provide answers. In other words, they're not and the nature of you know rabbinic advice but they illuminate problems and they give you a perspective on it which is helpful <laughs> now um, i can talk about movies you know for a long time but i want to hear from you what your favorites are and i would like to discuss them with you any suggestions any thoughts i know you have some if you came to this talk you, you it means you like One movies of my
2: favorites goes back away was the way we were
1: interesting we yeah
2: Barbara Streisand, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was that was the basic values that people had, and the and he couldn't escape what he had to begin with, and that was an interesting conflict.
1: Yeah, I have. My wife wants me to w- see that again. She liked it a lot. It I haven't seen I haven't seen it in years.
2: What was that a long time
1: ago? Yeah, It's so it's available on you know, DVD. Yep. I could probably pick it up. Other films? Anything in particular? I'll mention some current films if you want. Chariots of Fire. What's the, the, what's the, the key there? I, how many have you seen it? Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay. I was involved in running five, six days a week, so the film was really great. I really just enjoyed watching it. The music, the running. I had a lot of life lessons in that film, but to me, the one that stuck out was when you see the, the two main runners, one is Christian and one is Jewish. The Jewish guy wants to win at all costs. He's just in he's just the, the 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 Christian guy, who's very religiously motive, motivated, feels that he runs for the glory of God. Now somehow God is sort of in his head when he runs. And when there comes a moment about running on Sunday, he decides he's not going to run on Sunday, <laughs> which is, which is strange. Of course, you would think that the, the Jewish guy really it's irrelevant. You know, he wants to win. You know, so it just showed me that you. There are perspectives in which you can view things that, uh, that tell you that winning is not the most important thing. Maybe just uh, making the good decisions that keep, enable you to stay true to who you are, whoever you are. So that's an important lesson. Um, the, um, the, um, I don't want to get too far afield. How many people saw Inception? Inception, okay. I would, I, 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 don't watch that movie late at night because it's too complicated. <laughs> if you're going to see it, see it in the daytime. I like very much the films of Christopher Nolan. I find that they're very intellectually engaging. Um, he has a lot of, he did Dunkirk also. It's another fine film. The importance of those people who are standing on the sidelines, they become the heroes because you know, in, in Dunkirk, they had uh, people who were fishermen come forward and re- re- save the soldiers who were trapped at Dunkirk. That was, it was a big deal. So uh, there's a line in Milton, you know, from his poem, On His Blindness, that says, they who serve will only, will also who only stand and wait. And the idea is that we could be uh, very productive in our lives, not only by being in the middle of the fray as it goes on, but we can be helpful to other people even by being in the wings. That's the whole idea of volunteerism, if you think about it. I mean, when you know you have people on the sides who can help you, that strengthens your own position. It strengthens who you are. So Dunkirk gives you that perspective on life that you can be an important person even by being you know, on the sides, but being ready to step in if needed. Sorry, now, which film is that? That's Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Now, he, now. Yeah. Okay. A, 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 a fine film. Um, but that's a film by Christopher Nolan. He also did the Batman trilogy. Yeah. Same, all three films he directed. That's a very complicated film. Um, but also life lessons can be learned from that. Um, if you want to, I'll tell you, but I'll, I wanted to mention two other films that he did. Christopher Nolan also did Inception. This is a guy, if you didn't see it, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a brainy movie about a guy who's able to steal things by getting into the minds of other people. So he, he has a very specialized skill. The problem here is as he, he's married and he has children and he lets his wife enter this dream world that he's living in. And there are catastrophic consequences because the world of dreams is, is not the real world, and it's sometimes dangerous. So when I uh, uh, discussed it, at least in my review, I discussed the whole issue of being rooted to the real world while still dreaming. What's the classic example? Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder soars into the heavens, right? He's thinking about divine things, about you know, things beyond this world, but his feet are in the ground. He doesn't lose touch with reality. That's an important Musser lesson, that I can dream, but I have to be rooted in the real world. I can't just forget about the real world. That's an important lesson in Inception. He also did a fine film called Interstellar. Anybody see that? Again, these two films you gotta see in the daytime, early. They're very, they're complicated and you gotta really stick with it. Interstellar, uh, the plot basically is the world is coming to an end, you know, from an environmental perspective, but there's a few scientists who think they can save the world by moving the survivors to another galaxy. There's only one pilot who can do this. So they approached the pilots, played by Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, okay, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he won the Academy Award. Uh, so the dilemma here is that he can go save the world, but he's going to have to leave his kids behind. He's a single parent, he has to leave his kids behind. So that's a very you know valuable to think about again there's no answers but to me as a parent it was a it was a difficult movie to watch because i see this person he makes the decision to save the world but he's estranged from his kids i mean from his kids from his daughter in particular and if he's successful if he gets back it'll be 50 years later because time there is not time on earth it's not he's in a different you know galaxy so and, and the, the, the daughter yearns for fatherly affection and love and connection and he, he he's aware of it in some way, but it, it, it's you know, heart-wrenching to watch father and, son, uh, father and daughter try to connect over such a wide you know, span of time. So, Interspeller, I, I think, is, is an important, intellectually engaging film, but that and Inception both require daytime viewing,
2: <laughs> not late at
1: night, <laughs> you, just won't, you won't be able to stay with it. Um, you also saw Elephant Man, Okay, that tells you. It says in, uh, you know, in, in the rabbis say don't look at the container boat or what's in it. And this goes for all people who have disabilities of some kind. Sometimes you write them off because of uh, an appearance issue, but in fact, they have much to contribute. And that's what happens in Elephant Man. People, because of his extreme deformity, feel he has nothing to contribute, but the, at the end of the day, this guy is a bright, intelligent guy, who has lots to contribute to the world. Uh, so that's a, a fine film that illustrates that important Muster lesson um, Spotlight you all saw I'm sure you know about the uh, priests' uh, uh, conduct in Boston and the paper wants to expose it if you didn't see it it's a, it's a good you know, news story I mean, it's a good film about a news story about journalism journalists who really want to who see a problem and don't want to stand idly by so they report on it and they bring a lot of priests to uh the public eye and out of church service because of what they discover. Um, how many people saw Walk the Line? Johnny Cash's biography. Okay. I like that movie because um, it shows a very a, a valuable lesson about the importance of one's wife. <laughs> you know, in the, ta- in the, in the uh, in Jewish tradition, there's a notion that when you have a, a, a wife, she is an ezer konegdo. She's a helpmate, Opposite you. So there are two ways to interpret it. One of which is she's really opposite you and, and doesn't help you. Another interpretation of that is that she's opposite you and wants to help you in any way that she can. Now Johnny Cash was troubled with drug addiction, with many, many problems. He could have been, you know, really a, a great failure, but he, it turns out he, he's able to succeed because his wife believes in him and he believes in his talent and encourages him so that finally Johnny Cash is a, is a, is a legend in the music industry, but it's largely attributed, at least according to the movie, to the influence of his wife. So that's a, you know, important to recognize the contribution of your, your wife. Um, how many saw Nebraska? Okay, I'll skip that. <laughs> um, how many saw The Man Who Knew Infinity? Okay. These are okay. okay. Uh, how many saw three billboards outside Ebbing? Mm-hmm. Okay, you saw that. Three billboards. Yeah, yeah. This is a film in which a uh, daughter puts up billboards assailing the local police because her daughter's she was raped and murdered, and the police never came up with a uh, you know a suspect. Uh, they didn't do anything, so she puts up these billboards. Again, I'll t- I'm going to have to give you a little spoiler to explain what I'm saying, but. Uh, the sheriff, who's a decent guy, he, he, he dies. But he, before he died, he wrote three letters to, to a number of people in, uh, in the community explaining why he did what he did. And each letter is a form of ethical will. You know, it's not just a letter. You, know, so you compare it to, to Jacob you know, at the end of his life when he uh, speaks to his sons. You tell people things that they, you think they need to hear to continue developing in their respective paths. And he does this with the three main characters there. The letters really give them a, a really great insight into how to lead their, the rest of their lives. Very good. I happened to be in Boca Raton last week and I met a Rabbi Jack Reamer who wrote a book called Ethical Wills. And I spent a little time with him on Shabbat and I told him that the, 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 his book was very helpful to me because you often think of things you want to tell your children and it doesn't fit with the normal way a will is written you know because a will is a will it's a legal document but you also want to give them a legacy of wisdom so when you write out an ethical will you basically tell them how you think they should lead their lives you know even when you're not here so the three billboards uh, for me was like a, a film that convey the idea of an ethical, even though it wasn't written for children, the idea is that you can still influence the future by writing something to people that you care about and letting them know what your wishes and hopes are for them, looking forward. Um, okay, um, any other films you want to talk about? Remember the film American History X? Yeah, I saw I didn't write about that. Because that, that's a... That's a I I can deal with violence, but that film was very (laughs) violent. Ed Norton. Yeah. Yeah. It was a scary movie. It was. It was about racism, and in particular racism in in the prisons.
0: Uh, But uh, uh, there there was one black character and white character who saw each other as human beings and looked past the the racial violence and came to know each other.
1: Yeah. It was a good film. but, uh, but I just couldn't, I didn't, I didn't have to be in a right, mental film to write about it. <laughs> but it was a strong film. Very strong. very strong. Yeah, I remember that. American History X. Um, okay, any others you want to bring for, uh, to the table? Anything? A- any recommendations for me when I go to the movies? Anything, you want, anything I, should, I should be seeing, writing about?
2: I saw one recently, and it came and went very quickly. It was called Puzzles or Puzzle. And it's about the opening scene. Is a woman cleaning the house, vacuuming, and then she's baking a cake, and the very opening scene is she's hanging balloons and a happy birthday banner. And you think, oh, that's nice, it's a kid's birthday or something. And then a lot of people come over, and it turns out it's her birthday. And she's done all of this for her own birthday. And she has a loving family, but, but she sees herself as a, as a, a servant in a sense. And then somebody gives her a, a jigsaw puzzle. I've just started doing jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> so somebody gives her a jigsaw puzzle and it's a thousand pieces, which I can't do and uh, she starts doing that and she replies she has a gift for it so she finds out where the puzzle came from, it came from New York, from Manhattan she goes to Manhattan and it's a scary thing for her to leave I think she's in Mount Vernon actually <laughs> and she goes into or somewhere, and she goes into Manhattan to find out where she can get another puzzle and she gets another one and she finds out she's really good at it and she sees that there's a contest and somebody's looking for a partner in this contest and so the film goes on and on, and it gets more more involved. But the point of it is, she finds herself, which she never saw before, when she gets into another relationship with somebody who sees the value in her. Her family loves her, but they don't really see her beyond the mother and the wife who does all these things, but doesn't really have anything of her own. So that was a very interesting film. Unfortunately, it was here for a very short time, and I don't know. If, I'm, I'm expecting it to show up on, on Netflix. What's the name of it? Puzzle. Puzzles puzzle. Puzzle of puzzles I think that
1: You've intrigued me. I want to see this movie now. It was very, it was
2: very <laughs> And especially the way it developed, that you see her shift in herself, and her family is a little puzzled by it. i <laughs> But <Not> pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, but it, was a, it was a very touching film.
1: Very nice. Great recommendation. Yeah? What did you think of that
0: 2014?
1: You want to know my honest view? Of course. Of course. What else do you want to know? <laughs> I thought it was a disaster. <laughs> I, I I I like Russell Crowe. You know, I mean, I, I, since the Gladiator, I think, and he, he's been in a lot of good stuff. I like him, um, and I like the, the Jennifer Connelly. I think was his wife there, but I found the, the, a major problem. They had the in the of the giants. They're like robots. And like I I couldn't get into that. It it looked like another, like one of these science fiction movies. And I couldn't get into it because I I was distracted by the mechanics of it. Uh You know. So I just didn't. I did not enjoy it at all. I I didn't want to write about it or recommend it. It. I think Darren Aronofsky is a good uh, director. He He did Black Swan, but this was not a good effort. That's my view. Which you can disagree with. <laughs> Did you like it? Uh,
0: I, I remember just cu- being intrigued by the different rabbinic sources on the story and how it lined up with, this, with that story or not. I of uh, yeah. comparative stuff, but uh, I, found it, I found it interesting. Like it's not often that biblical stories are, in, you know, produced from Hollywood. So. That's true.
1: <laughs> That's why they're still showing the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Okay. Any other uh, recommendations here? Anything new that I can I can, I can see? What, what's the new, what's the new one on Netflix? The
2: New uh, make of um, Stars. Born. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I did like 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 it, see it and I thought
0: God, it I thought great. I thought it was great. And I start, and later on I went to see the previous
1: one of the previous versions with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, which did not did not grab me. I thought yeah. this this latest one was much more. Um, intriguing. Yeah. Significantly more intriguing. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't
2: think exactly the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I saw them both within about a month of each other. And mm-hmm. The first one was happened to be on TV, and I saw it. Mm-hmm. And Barbara Streisand is always wonderful. And then I saw the second one, and it, I've seen it twice now because the first time I saw it, I couldn't get Lady Gaga as, as the. Character because she seemed too old to me and she wasn't the innocence that Barbara Streisand was. But the second time I saw it, I got past that and it was very, very good. Very, and then some of the lyrics on those songs were fabulous.
1: Yeah. I, I actually did see that and I saw it in Israel, which I rarely, I rarely go to movies there. My, my wife wanted to see it and I felt.
2: The new one?
1: The new one. And I, I felt, you know, I had a day to go, so I went in um, and I liked it. I, I thought that Bradley Cooper was really superb, uh, and much better than Chris Christopherson. I saw the old yeah, one, and I, I thought the music was, you know, my kind of music. It was good, so I liked it. I I, 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 didn't, I didn't write the review yet because I mean it's a complicated movie. And, uh, you know, again I'm, I'm writing movies that uh, there's a there's a me- every almost every movie has a message. The issue is do I want to write about that message, and you know do I have enough Jewish sources to, you know, make it. Make it work, you know, because I do, I I do write reviews for the Times of Israel, mm-hmm. and I, I I also write reviews for some at least I did for a couple of papers in America that has since gone belly yeah. up. <laughs> Print journalism is not in good shape right now, but uh, you know, but I have to just think twice about it. Um,
2: I thought the directing was superb.
1: Bradley Cooper directed yeah. that. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah, he did it. Yeah. And, yeah, it
2: was that was outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. I felt better about her a second time. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Any others? Yeah? All right. Well, we thank
1: Rabbi Cohen for his presentation. Thank you so much for visiting us. Okay. Books are available for $15.
0: Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture.